Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all of the bizarre stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Gracious and weird. So, just like everybody else, we're still quarantining. Mm-hmm. It's day 52? Oh, I thought it was we were on like 500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah been a minute i don't know what normal life is anymore no but it's okay because we're still pumping out episodes for you guys and loving it loving it so so much quality time together <laughs> so much we have spent so much time together mm. <laughs> so this week's quiz is for jeremy who is currently in the army who was the only president or which president is the only person who was ever a six-star general? Six-star general? Mm-hmm. I think I know the one. You probably do. So, if you at home know, uh, just wait until the end of the episode and I will tell the answer to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. Still working on that uh, president post. Yep. Uh, yeah, it turns out I keep thinking that I'm like, oh, quarantine. I'm going to have all this time for so many things. And I don't do much more than I did before. Nope. So. Even less sometimes, <laughs> it feels like. Yeah. I had my first law school final Woo-hoo! today. That was uh, take home. It was weird because it's like you're trying to cram 14 weeks worth of content into a three-hour final, because they explicitly tell us, you know, it's not going to be any easier. It's the exact opposite. We're going to expect you to know more and be able to put more information down, because you have the same amount of time to prepare for the final, and your notes to refresh, jog your memory. Right. That's what kind of, you know, sucks about those either, like, take-home finals or open book finals, is that they're usually a lot harder. Yeah. So... But you made it through your first one. Yep. Which, and it was a relatively simple topic. I mean, compared to the rest of the law school, I feel like it was ethics. <laughs> it's kind of like one of those... So don't be in- a scumbag. Intuitive things, yeah. Yeah. I had uh, advice given to me today before the final, and it was uh, don't screw clients and don't screw with clients' money, so... It's a good two rule system for yeah. being a lawyer i guess i thought about just putting that down for every answer and then i realized <laughs> it was way too broad and i probably wouldn't pass yeah so with that just being the rule that i used for all the fact patterns that were given so but i will still heed that advice yeah i think it's still good advice <laughs> get a tattoo on your wrist so you can always remember yeah <laughs> on your knuckles. <laughs> yeah, no, I was looking at my knuckles like, how much how much space did I have? I think that's too many words for your knuckles. <laughs> All right. Maybe my forehead? Yeah, no. No. <laughs> All right, this week's episode starts with George Washington Park Custis. What? Was born in 1781 and was the grandson of Martha Washington through her first marriage. After Custis's father died, George and Martha Washington adopted him as their own child. So he was now, his name is George Washington Park Custis, and he's now George Washington's stepson, basically <laughs> is how that works yeah. now. 
So when Custis turned 21, he inherited a large amount of land in Virginia from his father's will and got to work building a mansion on it that would also serve as a memorial to his stepfather, George Washington. In 1804, Custis married Mary Lee Fitzger, or no, sorry, Fitzhugh. I obviously was not, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Fitzhugh. They had four children altogether, but only one survived to adulthood. Their daughter, Mary Anna Ralda, Ral, oh my gosh, Mary Anna Randolph Custis. In 1831, Custis's daughter married Lieutenant Robert E. Lee at the family home now named Arlington. Wow. So just, that's a lot of name dropping in yeah. one sentence. <laughs> yeah, my gosh. Holy smokes. You got George Washington, Robert E. Lee. Yeah, and Arlington. And Arlington. Robert E. Lee had joined the military because his family didn't have much money, so Robert and Mary moved into Arlington after they were married. Which wasn't Robert E. Lee kind of a stick in the mud? Yeah, from when what... When he was at the military academy? From what I've researched... Well, you know, we went over it during the uh, West Point uh, eggnog riot episode. Mm-hmm. Where, episode yeah. Episode three? No, it was later than that. Seven? But some yeah, one of those, but uh, one of the early one one from the early times. Yeah. But uh yeah, he wasn't he wasn't big partier or fun haver. He's kind of a party pooper. Which now kind of stems from his modest background. Yeah. So Robert was doing quite well in the army and was moving up the ranks pretty quickly. During the Mexican American War, General Winfield Scott called Lee the very best soldier that I ever saw in the field. When he came home to marry at Arlington between military obligations, they managed to have seven kids. <laughs> he was home a lot then. Yeah. <laughs> and Or they, they just really took advantage of the time that they had together. Efficient use of time. Yeah. <laughs> and Robert ended up taking over many of the Arlington plantation's duties as well. When George Washington... Park Custis died in 1857, Mary and Robert inherited the mansion, the plantation, and now owned almost 200 slaves that were working on the plantation that Custis wanted freed within five years of his death, according to his will. As a slave owner, Robert E. Lee was very harsh and combative to the slaves at Arlington and had no intention of freeing them despite Custis's will. He broke up nearly every single slave family on the plantation by hiring slaves off to other plantations. Wow. When slaves... To kind of prevent the inevitable revel... Maybe that was it, or... Yeah. yeah. If he didn't own the slaves, he couldn't free them, sort of thing. Yeah. And he could still have slaves on the plantation. Yeah. Probably something like that. When slaves tried to escape Arlington and were recaptured, Lee would either beat them himself or personally watch it happen. He would then order the overseer to wash the newly whipped slaves' lacerated backs with brine to make it sting all over again. The slaves at Arlington attempted several revolts against Lee and regarded him as a monster. When Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860, seven states seceded in protest. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Texas, which started off the Civil War. The first battle of the Civil War was an attack on Fort Sumter in South Carolina by Confederate soldiers on April 12, 1861. Less than a week after the battle, the state of Virginia also seceded from the Union. So we just had the April 12th? Yeah, so, yeah. 159 years. Yeah, 159 years ago this week. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Today in history. Yeah. 
Less than a week after the battle, the state of Virginia also seceded from the Union. The next day, Robert E. Lee was offered command of the Union Army by President Lincoln, but instead of accepting the position, Lee resigned his United States Army commission that he had held for 32 years. Lee was then appointed commander of Virginia's army with the rank of Major General. When Robert E. Lee left, his wife Mary decided to stay at Arlington and she kept busy tending to her rose garden while her husband was away. A Union officer named Montgomery Meggs, I think that's how you say it, I even looked up the pronunciation, it's spelled M-E-I-G-S, but I think it's Meggs. Yeah. So... He actually had also attended West Point, like Robert E. Lee, and served under Robert E. Lee right after he commissioned. While serving under Lee, Meggs thought very highly of him. He said Lee was a... What, what kind of voice are you expecting here? Um, he's born in Georgia. <laughs> they all end up sounding uh, like Foghorn Leghorn. An 1800s man born in Georgia who also attended West Point. <laughs> they all end up sounding like Foghorn yeah. Leghorn. <laughs> oh, he's Southern? <laughs> He said Lee was a man in the vigor of youthful strength, with a noble and commanding presence, and an admirable, graceful, and athletic figure. He was one with whom nobody ever wished or ventured to take a liberty, though kind and generous to his subordinates, admired by all women, and respected by all men. He was the model of a soldier and the beau ideal of a Christian. Good job. Meg's considered... Robert E. Lee to be his friend, mentor, and idol. Even though Max had been born in Georgia, he was a staunch Unionist and believed that anyone who had joined the Confederacy was a traitor no better than Benedict Arnold. When he heard that Lee had left the Union for the Confederacy, he wrote his father, No man who ever took... Yep, same dude. (laughs) (laughs) No man who ever took the oath to support the Constitution as an officer of our army or navy should escape without loss of all his goods and civil rights and expatriation. So, Meggs believed that any man who resigned from the Union to join the enemy should be sentenced to death and executed for treason. When another Union officer resigned and joined the Confederacy, Meggs was promoted to Quartermaster General. Dang. Yeah. Which meant his new job was to provide equipment, food, and transportation for the entire Union army. It's a big job. Meggs was a very organized bullets. Yeah. <laughs> Meggs was a very organized, efficient, and logistical commander, and it seemed like he was basically made. He was born for the quartermaster general job. Mm. The Secretary of State William H. Seward said of Meggs that without the services of this eminent soldier, the national cause must have been lost or deeply imperiled. On April twenty sixth, Robert E. Lee wrote his wife Mary a letter saying He's from Virginia, if you want to change it up. <laughs> That's Virginia. It's still Southern. <laughs> they all sound it's, it's more they all North. Sound, they all sound the same. <laughs> I, knew a, I know a guy from Virginia, and I'm trying to remember what he look, sounded like, what his voice sounded like. But he went to school in Colorado, so I don't know if he lost his accent. Um, um, <laughs> I'm very anxious about you. You have to move. And make arrangements to get to some point of safety. War is inevitable, and there's no telling when it will burst around you. I think that was... Is he, is he talking about war? Uh, yeah, I think he's basically saying, you know, you're still... <laughs> no, he's talking about war. <laughs> so, yeah, so with Virginia being at the most northern part of the Union Confederacy yeah. border, yeah, uh, it was obvious that fighting would 
happen there soon. And Arlington and the Arlington Plantation, with its hills being perfect for placing artillery, Lee knew that the Union would try to take over it soon. So basically he's saying, war is going to happen at the plantation soon. You should probably get out of there. He knows the tactical advantage of it. Right. And he's just like, yeah, maybe go somewhere Exactly. Maybe go be safe somewhere else. So, so did he want her to go south? I think he wanted her to go to Richmond, which is actually where he was. So, well, and also Arlington is really close to Washington, D.C. DC. Right. So it's literally, yeah, it's literally right there. And yeah. so that's one of the first places that the Union Army that's is going to get to. Yeah. yeah. So Mary's cousin. Super close to Washington. Super close to Washington, D.C. I looked at a map the other day of the East Coast because I am geographically challenged. Yeah. Unlike most of our listeners, who a few of you I know personally are, are very uh, well-cultured in American geography. Unfortunately, that was uh, not a priority in my <clears throat> elementary education upbringing. I've been trying to get caught up on it, but yes. Good job, babe. I'm proud of you for bettering yourself Knowledge. at this time. Yeah. So... Mary's cousin, Orton Williams, who was also her daughter's suitor because it's the 1800s, <laughs> was, a pir- was a private secretary for the Union General-in-Chief, Winfield Scott. He overheard Scott discussing the Union's plans to take to overtake Arlington. He quickly made his way to warn his cousin-slash-girlfriend's mom and told <laughs> her that... <laughs> Mary is his cousin, and he's also... Dating his cousin's, Mary's daughter, his cousin's daughter. Because it's the 1800s. It's the South in the 1800s. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Was that uh, that important uh, to yeah, the story? No. Yes. Did but, I want um, to put it in? Yeah, abso- yes. Absolutely a fun fact. <laughs> so, you... Uh, dating your cousin used to be acceptable. Well, he's not dating his cousin. Oh, he's his dating cousin's, his cousin's daughter. His second okay. cousin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, Used to be acceptable. Yeah. So he not goes, acceptable anymore. <laughs> no. So, anyways, he hears about you know his boss being like, "We're gonna go overtake Arlington." He's like, "Oh, that's where my cousin lives. Yeah. That's where my girlfriend's mom lives." So he's like, <laughs> "She could cook his dinner." Yeah. <laughs> so he so he decides to take off that night and go warn Mary. So he gets to Arlington and he tells her, you must pack up all you value immediately and send it off in the morning. That night, Mary had some of her slaves pack up the family silver, her father's and George Washington's papers, and some of Robert E. Lee's files so that she could send them to Richmond in the morning. At dawn, Williams woke her up to tell her that the Union's march on Arlington was delayed, but it was definitely still going to happen. It was a matter of, uh... Not if, but when. Right. So, Mary decided to stay as long as she could. I mean, this is her, where she was born, yeah. where she got married, where she decided to have seven kids. Yeah, like we've like we've talked about before, it's, it's pretty unbelievable the crazy places people become emotionally attached. Right. You know, just because it's what you know. Right. You know? So, uh, Mary wrote Robert, I never saw the country more beautiful, perfectly radiant. The yellow jasmine in full bloom and perfume in the air, but a death-like stillness prevails everywhere. Eventually, Mary decided that she should leave before she was forced out by the Union. You didn't want me to read that one? No. I thought I would be good for that one. My bad. I'll give, you, I'll give it to you for Mary's next quote. She talks a couple times in this episode. Okay. So, uh, so she wrote to her daughter, 
I didn't highlight. <laughs> I would have greatly preferred remaining at home and having my children around me. But as it would greatly increase your father's anxiety, I shall go. I feel, I fear that this will be the scene of conflict. My beautiful, endeared by a thousand associations, may become a field of carnage. <laughs> <laughs> so, on May 23rd, 1861, Virginia voted on and approved the Ordinance of Secession. So they had already technically seceded, hmm. but then they voted to ratify secession. the secession. So within hours of that happening, Union forces left Washington, D.C. and made their way towards Virginia. On May 24th at 2 a.m., 14,000 Union troops crossed the Potom- Potomac? 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 Potomac. <laughs> it's, Potomac. It's, oh, that's what it's it is. Potomac. Potomac. Oh my gosh. Now I just want potatoes and mac and cheese. Potato? Potomac? Potato mac? Yeah. (laughs) And they arrived in Virginia and took Arlington with literally no struggle because the only people that were still there were the slaves and they were like, we don't. Yes, we would like the Union, the ones that uh, are fighting fighting against slavery to take over. The Confederates. Yeah, we're okay with the Union taking over. Here you go. Here's the keys. (laughs) Yeah. You want a tour of the place? Yeah. (laughs) So, tents were set up and oak trees were cut. No, no. This is definitely where I used to sleep, so this bedroom's mine. Yeah. (laughs) It's all the master suite. (laughs) So, tents were set up and oak trees were cut down to make way for artillery fire. A battle never took place at Arlington, but the Union kept their hold on it all the same. I think it was a good place just to also kind of have as a... uh, like a war center, almost, mm-hmm. or, you know, to a place to, like, you know, have soldiers sleep before they went to wherever to go fight. Went to the front lines. You know, yeah. In June of... Yeah, eight- it was, I mean, like we said earlier, it's just a tactically very advantageous position. Right. And then a whole bunch of officers went and, you know, took up rooms in the mansion. Oh, and, weird. Yeah. That. Who knew? Uh, in June of 1862, so about a year later, Congress passed a law that would allow for the Union to assess and collect taxes on real estate that was in insurrectionary districts. So, in land that had seceded from the Union, uh-huh. but Congress could still assess and get collect property tax on it. That sounds like some real British. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, and the real estate taxes had to be paid in person. And if they were not paid, commissioners were allowed to auction off the land. So the law was meant to raise money for the war and to punish traitors, basically. You know, Mm. pay your taxes in person. Come, you know, in person, you traitor. And then, you know, or if you don't pay it, we're going to auction off your land. So do you risk being... But also, I feel like, what if you were an op? In opposition to the secession. Right. You fell south of it. Yeah, I think you're just... Like, you know, you're just... You're just not in a good spot. F'd if you do, F'd if you don't. Right. Or, you don't pay your taxes, pretend like, oh, that was never my house, and then you go buy back your property for super cheap. But I guess if you already owned it, it's probably cheaper to just pay the taxes. Yeah. So... Sorry. Yeah. So, (laughs) the commissioner levied a tax of $92.07 on Arlington that year. Mary Lee, who was in Richmond now, so she's actually, like, the owner, mm-hmm. not Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. It's her. Yeah. Um, She was in Richmond now, but she was sick, so she sent her cousin Philip R. Fendall to pay the tax bill in Alexandria. However, because the law stated that Mary Lee herself had to pay the taxes, 
They refused the money from Fendall and declared Arlington in default and put it up for auction. What? Yeah. So the auction of Arlington was on January 11th, 1864, and was apparently so cold that blocks of ice kept all boats off the Potomac River. The only bidder on the property was the federal government. What? <laughs> the only ones that showed up. Yeah. Uh, the ones... The ones hosting the auction, you mean? Yeah, the ones that hosted the it in the dead the of winter. Yeah, the auctioneer. <laughs> so they offered $26,800, which was a lot less than the $34,100 that it was worth, or its assessed value. So they got a deal. Per, per their certificate of sale, the federal government intended to reserve the property for government use, for war, military, charitable, and educational purposes. I'm surprised they weren't just like, one dollar! Yeah, right. <laughs> literally the only better. Because didn't the money just go back into their own pocket? Yes. Yes. I think they probably were trying to make it seem... More legit than it actually yeah, more was. Than yeah. <laughs> they were like, wait, how much money do we have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did so, they used to call it back then? Check the Check, check the, the coffers. Yeah. <laughs> check the coffers. <laughs> That's what we'll bid. <laughs> so my... Oh look! Payment in full. <laughs> yeah. Transferred immediately. <laughs> right. So most Americans thought that the Civil War would be very brief. Yeah. But it ended up lasting for years and causing mass casualties. What? Yeah, who knew? Yeah. Who ever heard that fact? Yeah. In 1864, Washington, D.C.'s temporary hospitals were overflowing with both, with both sick and injured soldiers, and those that died were quickly filling up the local cemeteries. In May of 1864, General Ulysses S. Grant started his wilderness campaign, which was 40 days of heavy fighting and produced around 82,000 combined casualties. Wow. Because they had so many bodies that needed burying and nowhere to put them, Montgomery Meggs set out to create a new cemetery in the area, and he knew right where he wanted it. On May 13, 1864, Meggs ordered that Private William Christman, who had died from peritonitis, be buried in the northeast corner of Arlington. There were no flags or bugles at his funeral. Instead, he was laid to rest in a very simple, quiet ceremony, and a pine headboard that had been painted white with his name in black letters was placed to identify his grave. Soon, other soldiers were buried next to him. Most of them were from poor families that couldn't afford to have their dead soldier embalmed or shipped back home for burial. The area where they were buried was called the Lower Cemetery, and it filled up quickly. In June... Meggs recommended that Arlington be made a national military cemetery and proposed devoting 200 acres as a graveyard. Meggs also proposed that all of the soldiers that had been buried in the lower cemetery be dug back up and reburied next to the mansion. Meggs wrote, The grounds about the mansion are admirably adapted to such a use. Meggs' proposal was accepted that day. Basically, he still very much hates Lee, because mm-hmm. he's like, you're my idol, and now you're a traitor, and I hate your guts. Yeah. And his plan is to you make... You are the scum <laughs> between my toes. Yeah. He basically <laughs> makes wants it to be unbearable if Lee ever tries to move Decide back. He's like, guess him. what? You're I'm daring dead a whole bunch of bodies. dead soldiers yeah. right next to your mansion. Yeah. Maybe even if you exhume them, your place is going to be haunted for sure. For sure. For sure. So, some officers that were living in the mansion didn't want soldiers to be buried right next to them because ghosts. Yeah. So, uh, Megs kicked them out of the house. 
And he's uh, like, oh, you don't like this? Uh, then go find somewhere else uh, to sleep, because this is exactly where uh, I'm burying all these people. There's plenty of buildings, outbuildings. Yeah, and go get a tent. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he replaced the officers. I don't find two trees. Hang a hammock. Yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> this is where we're burying him. You know why? Because I hate this dude. <laughs> This is my petty thing, and I'm I'm sticking to yeah, it. Yeah. So Meg's kicked out the officers out of the mansion and replaced them with a military chaplain and a lieutenant that would be in charge of overseeing the cemetery operations. Knowing how much Mary Lee loved her rose garden, Meg's planned on burying prominent Union officers there. The first officer laid to rest there was Captain Albert H. Packard, who had been shot in the head during the Battle of the Second Wilderness. He had actually initially survived the headshot, but he later died in the Columbian College Hospital. Mm. Megs buried Captain Packard right where Mary Lee liked to sit and read books while smelling her flowers. It's just so, it's so petty, but I love it. By the end of 1864, there were 40 more officers buried in the Rose Garden. Meggs wanted even more soldiers to be buried at Arlington and had his men scour battlefields near Washington, D.C. for unknown soldiers. Meggs then had a huge pit dug at the end of the Rose Garden and filled the pit with over 2,000 unknown soldiers. Just dumped all their bodies in there. He then buried them and built a sarcophagus to commemorate their grave. Meggs knew that with burying both war heroes and unknown soldiers, it would be a political disaster for anyone to try to dig up their graves and rebury them after the war. Basically, he's like, I'm not, I'm going to make it impossible for anyone to live here again. Yeah. And that means Lee. Yeah. Because I hate his guts. On October 3rd, 1864, Montgomery Meg's son, Lieutenant John Rogers Meggs, was shot during a scouting mission for General Philip Sheridan in the Shenandoah Valley. His body was brought back to Washington, D.C., where he was buried in Georgetown. His funeral was attended by President Lincoln. The death of his son only increased Meggs' hatred for the Confederacy and Robert E. Lee. When Meggs heard about Robert E. Lee surrendering to General Grant on April 9, 1865, he wrote, The rebels are all murderers of my son and the sons of hundreds of thousands. Justice seems not satisfied if they escape judicial trial and execution by the government, which they have betrayed and attacked, and who people loyal, disloyal they have slaughtered. Yeah, so anyways, he's upset. Rightly so. Mm. And he basically blames Lee for his son's death. Yeah. So it was Meggs' hope that even if Lee and other Confederate leaders were not executed, that they would at least be banished from the United States. There were treason charges initially filed against Robert E. Lee, but they were quietly dropped. Lee then moved to Lexington, Virginia, where he became president of Washington College. Robert and Mary Lee then started to try to regain Arlington. Robert E. Lee had his lawyer quietly research if it was even possible to get Arlington back in their possession. Robert E. Lee's older brother, Smith Lee, went to Arlington in late 1865 to try to see if it was even worth it for his brother and Mary to move back to the plantation. They'd be like, is it even salvageable? Yeah. yeah. What does it look like? We're not going to go look at it, but maybe yeah, you can. Yeah. It'd be a little obvious if we show up. Yeah. People kind of know what I look like. Yeah. So Smith goes and looks at Arlington, and he figures that if they could build a wall tall enough to hide all of the graves from being seen from the mansion, they should be fine to move back in. 
What? He's like, all we have to do is build a wall here, and then you can't see all of the mass graves. Yeah, the massive amount of graves. Don't worry about all the ghosts. See, yeah. that's why I wouldn't... Just, like, it's done. Yeah. There's so many ghosts. Yeah. So many Civil War soldier and ghosts. you, of all people, are the man they want to hunt. <laughs> exactly. However, Smithley accidentally told the cemetery superintendent why he was there and who he was. Who And then so that the cemetery superintendent went and told Megs. Yeah. So, while the Lees tried to get Arlington back, Megs went to work making sure that they never did. While they were still working with their lawyers with on getting Arlington, Robert E. Lee died at 63 years old in Lexington on October 12, 1870. So he never got to go back. Now without her husband, she wanted her home back even more than ever and petitioned Congress to examine the federal government's claim to Arlington and what it would cost to have all of the bodies exhumed. Her petition on the Senate floor failed 54 to 4. Senators... Who was a four-ass? Yay. Well, you know, there's still people from, like, the South, so... Senators felt that it was not just a burial field, but hallowed ground. A shine for the sacred dead, the patriotic dead, the heroic dead, and patriotic graves. Meg stayed on, so yeah, I mean, it didn't get far. Meg stayed on as quartermaster general for a total of 20 years and continued to engineer the look of Arlington Cemetery. He had several memorials built, including the Temple of Fame for George Washington and an amphitheater covered in wisteria that was big enough to hold 5,000 people for ceremony. He also built a large red arch at the cemetery's entrance that was dedicated to General George B. McClellan. McClellan. In June of 1873, Mary Lee decided to visit her old family home one last time. She took a carriage ride that lasted for three hours, going through the land that she once knew but was now filled with graves and memorials. She wrote, My visit produced one good effect. The change is so entire that I have not the yearning to go back there and shall be more content to resign all my right in it. So she's like, it's not even the place I knew. The place be. I knew. So... Mary Lee died five months later in Lexington at the age of 65. Months after her death, Mary and Robert E. Lee's eldest son, George Washington Custis Lee, petitioned Congress that they admit that the property had been taken unlawfully and he requested compensation for the land. His argument was that his mother's attempt to pay the insurrectionary tax should have been accepted and that her good faith attempt to pay should have should be accepted the same as if it had been paid. Meggs was still alive and kicking and was worried that the petition would interfere with the United States' tenure of this national cemetery, a result to be avoided by all just means. The petition died in committee and never even made it to the Senate floor. So hers or his even made it. You know, didn't even make it as far as his mother's petition. Custis Lee didn't give up, though. That's what I'm just going to call him from now on. So, he didn't give up, though, and he took his case to court. He asked the Circuit Court of Alexandria to evict all trespassers occupying the land as a result of the 1864 auction. The case was then shifted to federal court and eventually made its way to a jury trial. The jury found for Custis Lee on January 30th, 1879, that by requiring the tax to be paid in person, the federal government had deprived Mary Lee and thus Custis Lee of his property without due process of the law. The federal government appealed the verdict to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court then also ruled for Lee, where Associate Justice Samuel Freeman Lee Miller or Custis? Wrote, Custis Lee. Keep getting... Sorry. Well, his last name is Lee. Sorry. Custis Lee. Custis Lee. Um, so the Supreme Court ruled for the, him. Yeah, and the... 
One of the justices wrote that the 1864 tax sale had been unconstitutional and therefore invalid. So Arlington is now back in the possession of a Lee. Yeah. So Arlington belongs to Lee's once again. However, Custis Lee was willing to sell it to the federal government for $150,000. And Congress quickly appropriated the funds for the sale. It was more the, uh, what is it? The, uh, what are the words that I'm thinking for? It's more of like the, you know, the meaning of it. He didn't actually want Arlington back, you know. He was doing it for his family. I don't know. So, Congress quickly appropriated the funds for the sale, because they're all over it. So, they're trespassing now, technically. Yeah, right. So, they're like, yeah, sure, we'll pay you $150,000. On March 31st, 1883, Custis Lee signed the papers that transferred the title of Arlington to the federal government. Robert Todd Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln's son and current Secretary of War, accepted the title on behalf of the federal government. So it's kind of crazy that Lincoln's son met with Robert E. Lee's son to take Arlington. Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. This is weird. Right? So bizarre. (laughs) It is, though. I mean, like, like, sure, you know, Abraham Lincoln, household. Robert E. Lee, household name. Right. Todd Lincoln. Yeah. Cust, say his full name. George Washington Custis Lee. Yeah, George Washington Custis Lee. That's all of them. Whose stepfather was George Washington. George Washington Custis Lee. No, George Washington was his great, great stepfather. Great stepfather. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's just all a mess. His grandpa? His step-grandpa? So this is Mary Lee's son. George Washington was her stepfather. Step grandfather slash, and then Mary Washington. I don't know. It's it's a lot. I I don't want to think about it. It's, a lot of separation. Anyways, but it's a still... lot of big players yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah, big name. So that same year, Montgomery Meigs had turned 65 years old and was forced to retire from his quartermaster job. Meigs continued to work in Washington D.C. for another decade, though he wasn't done. Yeah, he still got. A whole lot of life left to live when people, a lot of people were dead by 65 years right, old in the yeah, 1800s. Yeah. Robert, both Robert and his wife. Are both dead. Yeah, yeah both so dead in their 60s. Yeah, 65, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Megs buried several of his family members in Arlington, including his wife, and he reburied his son, John, there. So he dug him up from Georgetown and buried him, reburied him in Arlington. Meg's family is buried in row one, section one of the cemetery, and there are more of Meg's relatives buried at Arlington than there are of Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Meg's came down with the flu at age 75 and died shortly thereafter in January of 1892. His body was taken to Arlington, where it was accompanied by an army band and an honor guard of 150 soldiers, while his body made its way past all of the tombstones and memorials that he had built. The procession stopped on Meg's Drive, and Montgomery Meg's was buried in Arlington, the national cemetery he created because he hated Robert E. Lee so very much. (laughs) (laughs) The federal government ended up paying the Lee family some money for it. Yeah, they did. But... But really, it's it was all was it was the, all from Meg. Yeah, he was the spearhead. Of I that think operation. my favorite part is he was just he was like, I think we need a cemetery, and I know exactly where I want to put it. I've yeah. got the perfect place in mind. Yeah, very yeah. all of my used to be right best my used to be best friend's house. <laughs> yeah, we will bury all the bodies 
in a spiral, <laughs> yeah. starting <laughs> by the front door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Uh, sources are Robert E. Lee, a History.com article, George, Wa- George Washington Park Custis, a National Park Service article, How Arlington National Cemetery Came to Be by Robert M. Poole, The Myth of the Kindly General Lee by Adam Serwer, Arlington National Cemetery and the Fight over Robert E. Lee's Home by Linda Wheeler. You know, do you remember the quiz question at the beginning of the episode? Six-star general. Six-star general. Which president is the only six-star general ever in American history? George Washington. You betcha. Oh Apparently God. they created that title, that, I don't rank? know, that rank for just for him, so that there could be nobody that would ever outrank him, ever. Well, and yeah, I mean, it was a... Uh, an ode to his sacrifice. Yeah. His... Also being the first president and being yeah. the general during the Revolutionary War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of it. It was an ode. Yes. Ode to... Yes. I'm uh, learning to play the harmonica, and I think I want to come up with my own song called uh, To oh, George. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, you let us know when you're done with that. <laughs> you can play it for everybody. Maybe. Fortunately, no, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Access to a almost professional level recording studio, but I will not torture you with the terrible, awful sounds of my harmonica playing skills. Just me. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've heard Oh Susanna? <laughs> so many times. It's, it's a basic one that you try and learn. It's okay, baby. We all have our hobbies. If you like this episode and podcast please rate review and subscribe us wherever you listen to us tell your friends share our podcast episodes on social media so more people can find us and listen uh make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode you already said subscribe yeah but i forgot to say make sure you don't miss an episode yeah you don't want to do that Nope. Listen as soon as it comes we are, out. We are racking in the episodes. <laughs> Time is flying by. It really is. This is what, 27? Uh, 28, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, if you would like to look at some merch, some show notes, a timeline of the episodes, go to americathebazaar.com and check all of that stuff out. If you would like so- to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. With that being said, Until next time, stay stay weird, America. America!